we are starting off this episode a little bit differently this week because one of the two kiddos that we are featuring has spent the past week in the hospital, including a rush trip to the ICU with a new diagnosis on top of what he has already been diagnosed with. Now, from what I understand, he was able to come home on Halloween, which was awesome to hear. His name is Maddox, and his sister Paisley is the other kiddo we are featuring and shouting love for in November. They are two of three kids that belong to Andrew and Samantha, who really could use a community that is ready to shout love for them. So let's do it. My name is Seth Carnell, and with me is Josh Veach, and this is the Go Shout Love Podcast. conversation is with Andrew and Sam, the parents to Maddox, who is two years old, and Paisley, who is seven. They are our feature kiddos for November. Andrew and Sam also have a four-year-old, Juliet, which means they have a lot on their hands with some amazing kids and their personalities. This is a fantastic conversation, and I can't wait to share it, but I wanted to follow up since we just finished talking with them. Josh, you asked a question that I wanted to expand on and I think is very important to a lot of our Go Shout Love families. The question, which isn't verbatim, is how long did it take Samantha and Andrew to be okay with the looks in public and the stares with Maddox in his stroller? And she told us that it was really Paisley that stood out with understanding Maddox. What can we learn from Paisley? Oh man, that's a really good question. It's evident in the way that um, Sam and Andrew are raising their kids that they have modeled what it looks like to lead with love to um, Sam shares a story where uh, a kid makes a comment about uh, Maddox and, and some of the tubes and, and the appearance that comes with that. And Paisley responds to this kid out of, out of a love and respect for her brother. It's evident, but doesn't do it in a way that's mean. Like she's, informing and she's educating, but she's doing it in love and she's doing it in confidence um, because she loves her brother and she sees Maddox as her brother first. Like all of the stuff, the, the equipment doesn't define um, Maddox to her. And so she doesn't think it should define him for anyone else is kind of what I took from that. Um, And I think that's what we can all take from that is that these kids that we get to tell the story these stories of, um, they have value and they're, they're, uh, they are not defined by the limits that these equipment, the, those sort of things put on them. They really are limitless in who they are as people. Yeah. And I love how we get to see it through the eyes of other children. This is not the first time that we have seen this either siblings and friends of these kiddos. They don't see that stuff. They only see the personality. Right. They only see the child for who they are. And it's incredible. It's an incredible lesson. And I wish everyone would take that to heart. In the past, we have featured siblings before, and they've often had similar diagnoses. And as of now, I think only a couple of families we have featured had siblings with different conditions. But this story is really unique in that they discovered Paisley's diagnosis, and mm-hmm. she's the older of the two. And something she was born with, but they didn't discover until she was older and after Maddox was born and diagnosed. I I guess what I'm amazed with is how long we've been doing this 
and there is always a new situation that we haven't seen. Do you still get as surprised as I do? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, they're all unique and they all teach me something and they all remind me of how difficult these journeys are that these families uh, face and, and navigate, but also just how amazing these families are and how much they, you know, I learned something new from every one of them and they are, um, they're, they're incredibly insightful, but they, they, yeah, they just teach a lot. Um, and you know, it is, it's a rare condition. It's a rare situation in that, like you said, the, the older daughter, um, gets navigate, gets diagnosed later. Uh, A lot of times it's, if, especially if it's the same thing, it happens, um, you know, around the same timeline or it's, you know, same age as their older sibling, they, they get a diagnosis. But, um, yeah, I, I think what's really interesting that you'll hear in the conversation is how Sam talks about how Paisley has watched her brother go through so many things has shaped as a, you know, she's older, she's seven. And so, um, it has shaped how she views and responds to these, you know, her own appointments now. Um, and in some of that, it's probably in some ways, some of that might be helpful, helpful and healthy because she's been around hospitals a lot more than most kids her age probably. But in other ways, it's scary because she's seen all the things that her brother has had to go through that, that are scary. And so I think she, you know, has to adjust to that. And so I think that's a dynamic that we've never really seen before is a child that has seen it from the other side as a sibling and now having to go through it as you know, for themselves. You are very right. There is a lot of things we've learned from these conversations and things that are applicable. And one thing that we have heard from families that are similar to this is that it's very important to create a new normal. And that seems like a tall order for their family, especially, but it's one that they've kind of embraced. And it's no different that when hearing that, how important it must be to find that new normal. How applicable is that to people who listen to this? I think it's applicable to everyone in the middle of a global pandemic um, because even outside of, even outside of medical conditions and, you know, all of that, like we're all in situations where we have to, we are having to adapt um, and we are forced to either grow in a way that's healthy or we can respond in ways um, that are not and, what I think has been really, what's really cool in the conversation with Andrew and Sam is that they have been very intentional about sharing with their kids. Like, um, both of their, both of their daughters are aware and to, to what's, to an extent of what's, uh, appropriate for their age, but they're, they're aware of all the challenges that Maddox has to go through. Like they have, they've gone through that as a family. In fact, that's been part of their support system is that the kids are in with it, in it with them. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, it's, it's important that you're proactive in how you're deciding what normal is as much as you can control it. Right. I mean, they can't control certain elements, just like none of us can control what we're going through right now and and how that's impacts our day-to-day life from a pandemic standpoint. But, um, they they are intentional about bringing their kids along on the journey. And I think that's really powerful. 
Before we get to this interview, which is part one of two episodes with this family, outside of rating and reviewing this podcast, I would ask that this week, let's leave a comment of encouragement to the family, either on Facebook, Instagram, or even the platform you're listening on. We love the ratings and reviews, but we are about shouting love and would love to see that in our comments sections. Here we go. Andrew and Sam, welcome to the Go Shout Love podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you for having us. It's our pleasure, and we're excited to learn about your family and to get into your story a little bit. And before we do that, especially the medical piece, we want to just to get to know your your family. So give us a breakdown of of, uh, your your family and where you live and all that good stuff. Um, We are in a suburb outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, born and raised right around Pittsburgh. So, you know, we, we bleed that black and gold like everyone else. <laughs> um, we have three amazing kids. We have Maddox, who is almost three, Juliet, she's almost five, and Paisley, our oldest, is almost eight. They all have completely different personalities. <laughs> three opposites, if that's a thing. Yes, yep. yes, very much. <laughs> One is our wild card, that's rough and tumble. One is our sweet and sensitive one, and the other one is very, very Aww. go with the flow. <laughs> and they, I'm sure they bring a nice balance. They sure do. Mm-hmm. They each give us something different to smile about every day, and possibly cry about. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's the that's the the beauty and the curse of parenting, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's start with um, personalities. Um, let's start with with Paisley. Tell us how old she is. I think you mentioned she, I mentioned her age, I think. Um, so she's seven, right? Yes, she is. She'll be eight in December. Okay. And what, uh, tell us a little bit about her. Tell about, uh, what, what it's like to have her as a daughter. It is just an absolute gift. She is just the best daughter you could ask for. She's so sweet, so sensitive, very empathetic, to the point where I killed a spider in the house and she yelled at me and told me that that spider didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Now she doesn't want to be friends with this spider, but she also doesn't want you to kill it. So she just has a very kind heart and wants to help everybody. She will go up and take all of the money out of her piggy bank. If it means helping you. Mm. Wow. What a, what a powerful, uh, what a powerful thing to see in a, in a, in one of your kids. That's got to be something that makes you really proud. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rewarding. Yeah. She's, she's something special. Awesome. And then you have your, uh, middle daughter, Juliet, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and she's four. Yes. yes. And tell us a little bit more about her. She is also amazing in her own different ways. She finds a way when you are just feeling your absolute lowest to get you to smile and laugh and do something that brings you out of your shell. She's one of those kids, too, that every single thing she does, she looks at you and says, take a picture, take a picture. (laughs) She's made for the camera. She is, and she's just She's the life of a party. Especially with her outfits that she picks out. Yes. Everything has to be beautiful or a skirt, but it never matches ever. <laughs> awesome. And then tell us about the your youngest. Tell us about Maddox. He is 
sweetest little guy. I tell my husband all the time, listen, I love you, but that's my guy. That is my <laughs> he, he has mommy wrapped. He's just, he looks at you with these long eyelashes and these big blue eyes. And I'm just like, okay, you tell me whatever mm-hmm. you want. You mm-hmm. got it. Yeah. And after, <laughs> and after having two daughters, uh, having adding a boy to the house is, is a different dynamic, I'm sure. It is, but I can't even say from like how most people say is different changing the diapers. No, Paisley peed on us whenever we would change the diapers, (laughs) so we were already used to that. (laughs) There you go. So you, he, she helped prepare you. She did. She did. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we, what's unique about your journey is that we, we've, we featured families that have had, um, you know, siblings. In fact, just recently. We featured a family that had two girls that had the same diagnosis and they, you know, we have, it's uncommon that we feature a family that has more than one child that's on a rare medical journey. Um, but even in the case when we, when we have there, there's a certain, um, what's a more of a common progression where it's, you have the older child has a diagnosis and then they have a sibling that has a diagnosis and your story is a little bit different than that. Um, I would be lying if I said it didn't knock us off our feet. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's let's get into that a little bit. Um, so, Maddox uh, was received a diagnosis um, while you were still pregnant, right, Sam? Yes. So, tell us a little bit about about that journey. Oh, uh, that was a long journey, to put it lightly. We went through so many emotions. It started out they weren't sure what was, and I'm doing air quotes, wrong. Um, so they sent me to a couple different places and I had ultrasounds and testing and then I had an MRI and at this point they still couldn't tell me if he had a cerebellum and then we went out to Philadelphia and got evaluated for fetal surgery out there because at this point we knew he had spina bifida but we didn't know anything else mm-hmm. and then that's what I said that he had the Chiari 2 malformation um, in that he had a good chance of developing hydrocephalus, but they were all very optimistic about his prognosis yep. and said that he would probably walk with assistance, meaning his braces or a gait trainer or yep. something, and that just pretty much no one expected for yeah, life to unfold the way it did. Yeah. And tell us about that. What were those next things that unfolded? So because of that, we opted not to have uh, spina bifida or spina bifida. I am so sorry. It's okay. Fetal surgery for spina bifida. And that's still, and, that's still a fairly uncommon surgery, right? I mean, that's not super common. Yeah, it's not. So there are only a certain amount of places that you can go to for it. Not everywhere will do it. I, I'm not sure how many Pittsburgh has done yet, but I think the first one was done a little over two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of my friends have gone out to chop or I know some people have gone out to Cincy and Mm -hmm. I know somebody who went to Chicago. So, I mean, it's not like you can go to every local hospital where you get prenatal care and say, Hey, let's have this done. That's not how it works with this. It's it's a big adjustment. And and then there's a lot of risk involved too. There is. And it's a big commitment to like, for us, we would have had to have moved me out to Philadelphia and, Obviously, Maddox is our youngest, so we had our two other kids, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. My husband does all the working, so he wouldn't have been able to come out with me, but I would have been on bed rest and not able to run to the girls, and there was just no 
no way for us to make it work. Yeah. So you opted not to do that. And then what was, what was next? Um, so we had a scheduled C-section at 37 weeks. He had the next day at one day of life, he had, um, his closure, which is where they go in and they repair the defect. And then the next day is when all poop broke loose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's the first time he stopped breathing and he had all kinds of DSATs throughout the entire day. They put him on oxygen. And then two days later, he ended up on a ventilator because he had completely lost the drive to breathe. Mm. They did um, emergent MRI, which they didn't think showed a symptomatic Chiari, meaning like he didn't have the compression that they thought would be causing all these symptoms. So they said that they thought it might have been an abnormality in the development of his brainstem, which devastated us because, I mean, we're not medical professionals, but we know that you need your brainstem Mm -hmm. for everything. It's very essential. So Christmas Eve that year, this is 2017, and he's not even a week old, we were all in the waiting room of the NICU, um, we being us, my parents, his parents, our siblings, his sister was actually in from Florida. We were sobbing because mm. no one could tell us what this meant for him. Yeah. Yep. And then two days later, he was extubated. Yep. Wow. <laughs> so that was great because we knew that that meant that he didn't have this abnormality of in the development of his brainstem that they thought, but it also knock the wind out of us because then we said, okay, well, what's causing it? What's right. going on? They don't think it's the Chiari, but it's also not the brain. So what is mm-hmm. it? And it took a lot of pushing and they finally did a sleep study about a month later. I don't know what it is at our hospital. I, I love them, but getting a sleep study scheduled when you're in the NICU is like finding a pot of gold. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. So he had the sleep study done, which not only showed that he was symptomatic of his Chiari, that he was very symptomatic. Yes. And what that means is he was having extreme amounts of central apnea. And because of that, like he just he always wanted to sleep, which was putting him in this constant state of not being able to breathe because that's what apnea is. Mm-hmm. And then he they came up with a treatment plan of um getting a VP shunt. So that's the shunt that goes into your brain down to your abdomen. And then two weeks after that, they were going to do a Chiari 2 decompression, which is where they remove the backs of some of your, your cervical vertebrae to try mm-hmm. and relieve the pressure. And I'm going to stop you there real quick. When you say, uh, I think you're saying QRE. Chiari. So it's spelled like Chiari. Yeah. Okay. I-A-R-I, okay. but it's Chiari. Okay, and what I do not know what that means. I may be the only well, one, but... <laughs> so it, there's a couple different types of it. A Chiari 2 is mostly exclusively to kids with spina bifida. Um, it's where your cere- cerebellum pulls down into your spinal cord. Okay, got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. That is helpful for me. Uh, and m- maybe, maybe somebody else listening. Um, but it's amazing when we talk to these parents, like you guys learn so much and you become so knowledgeable about all these different things that I'm assuming, unless you have a surprise medical background, you probably never envisioned yourself becoming nearly as knowledgeable about all these different (laughs) parts of the body. I I honestly had only heard of spina bifida in like my parenting class that I took way back in high school. Mm -hmm. 
And it's one of those things where they just tell you like, oh, this is a possibility of happening again. It's like finding the unicorn. You don't think it's going to happen to you, but then it does. And I mean, we had to dive in and hit the ground running with it because he just hasn't especially not stopped since he was born. And I mean, he is just an absolute blessing, but yeah, uh, he keeps us on our toes. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't mean to derail your, your story where you are in the story. So you're, uh, about a couple months into his life in the you've gone through this really terrifying beginning um and probably something i'm assuming that christmas eve probably doesn't roll around each year without you kind of reliving that i'm assuming um, no it is always it, there there are a few things that really always stay with me um mm-hmm. that he did in the nicu some of them i won't get into but yeah that is one of the ones and he's a stinker we everyone knows this everyone in the NICU knew it he pulls his worst stuff with mommy it's not with that (laughs) it's with mommy so I said I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or (laughs) what because (laughs) he he could stop daddy could get some things every now and then (laughs) uh so he um so tell us about kind of the 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 uh what diagnosis he received outside of the hydrocy or the uh, spina bifida um, in those first few months and kind of how that impacted his day-to-day life. So he's also, he has esophageal dysmotility. And one of the things too, that comes with a symptomatic Chiari is you can have problems swallowing. He aspirates everything. They did a swallow study and every thickness of liquid he aspirates Mm -hmm. and he also had severe reflux. And so what was happening is he was refluxing so high that he was aspirating that, which was causing, he had multiple codes called in the NICU. So he ended up getting a Nissen, which is where they tighten um, a part of your stomach so that you can't reflux yeah, past it. Yeah. And he got a G-tube. So he is 100% tube fed. He's our little tubey. And he is now because of all of the aspiration and then he had a winter where he just had nonstop pneumonia mm. as bilateral bronchiectasis, which is a lung disease, which now makes him 100% oxygen dependent. Mm. So that has that, was that all still fairly, did that all happen at once or has that been, things have been added over the last couple of years? So the, <laughs> The bronchiectasis, we didn't get that diagnosis until 2009, yeah, 2019, yeah. but he started needing oxygen in 2018 when he was nine months old, eight months old when he started needing it. And at that point, no one knew why. So again, mm-hmm. when we got that diagnosis of bronchiectasis, we were actually, I don't want to say excited, but we were happy right. that there was a reason. Some for- clarity. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But when he got the oxygen, when he started needing that 24-7 was when we found out about the worst part of our journey with him um, is he had this cyst on the front of his spine. And what happened with that was in August 2018, all of a sudden, he just stopped moving his arms. He Mm. couldn't move at all. You picked him up, they fell down limp. He couldn't do anything with them. So... They got him in for an emergency MRI, and it showed he had this cyst that was putting, in their words, were mass effect on his spine. And where his cyst is, it's right where his sensory and motor nerves are. So that explained why he couldn't 
move his arms. So his is on the front of his spine, and most arachnoid cysts are on the back of your spine. So up higher. But they're typically lower, and his mm-hmm. is up higher. So they they fenestrated that, and what it that means is that they took a chunk out of it to let it flow, mm-hmm. and their hope was that it wasn't going to close, but it did. The way he <laughs> makes you yeah he he has a scar tissue problem um he had and he's had a lot of like shunt malfunctions in between that but those are honestly for us they're so i don't want to say normal but they're so they're one of his easier things yes it's it's, it's still brain surgery but it's even as his neurosurgeon has put it they're you don't even call them like big or emergent procedures for him they're just something right it's more routine for him than some of the other yeah. things that he's had to face yeah, yeah so he's, it's he's star with those. it's <laughs> safe to say that that this little uh two almost three-year-old has uh encountered more surgeries and more he's tougher than probably almost all adults including myself when it comes to what he's had to face do you know how many i know he's had to have a lot of surgeries do you know how many of those he's had to have he's so Invasive surgeries, he's had 18. He's oh had tons of and Botox injections into his yeah. salivary glands, but 18 of the invasive ones. As parents, um, how do you prepare yourself for those surgeries and how do you make it through those? Um, one of the best ways we make it through is this little girl right here, this wild card of ours, <laughs> Juliet, she, no matter what, like I said before, she just brings laughter and then coming home and seeing our sweet one who comes and just greets us at the door with the biggest hugs. And then there are a lot of people that I've seen that said that like having a complex journey with one of their kids has put tension on their marriage with us. I feel like, and I don't think like I'm just saying this, it's brought us closer together we don't fight with each other about it we just roll with the punches mm-hmm. and say, you know well such is life this is where we're at what can we do there's right. nothing there's a balance yeah there's he, he's i i'm the crazy he's the same so we kind of level each other out <laughs> but, wisely wisely andrew has no comment there i noticed <laughs> i'm not saying anything <laughs> so it's um, a team but, effort as a team it is. as and a team we, you make it through these surgeries Yes, we have an amazing support system that they, grandparents, they all watch the girls so that Andrew and I can be at the hospital or if Maddox has a prolonged stay, Andrew has to go back to work. Mm -hmm. So then we rotate at the hospital. And I mean, it does get to be a lot, but we try to be there for all of them. If we're both at the hospital, then we video chat or we try to rotate nights. Like if I'm there during the day, he'll come and stay at night and- Sure. It's a balancing act. Between that and then also with all this, we've developed a darker sense of humor too because you have to keep yourself laughing. You have to keep yourself smiling because if you don't, you're not going to make it through. You're just going to keep yourself down. You're going to beat yourself down and it's going to be tough. So as messed up as some of the stuff that we'll laugh about can seem, it's just that's one of the things you have to do. You have to be able to laugh. Yeah. Um, you, you've mentioned this, this, all these journeys and the, these invasive things and how they've impacted Maddox's life. 
I'm sure that has a major impact on his day-to-day functions even, um, is how does Maddox communicate with you? How does he let you know when he's happy or when he's upset or? So he's, he's nonverbal, but like what we say is nonverbal doesn't mean he can't communicate. Absolutely. He can't. It's just not in the typical sense that everybody is accustomed to. So right. like when he's mad, he holds his breath. Yep. Mm. <laughs> he drops his oxygen. So it's yep. not fun, but. He knows how to get your attention then. That's what you're saying. Um, When he wants a hug, he'll put his head to the side and look up at you. That means he wants you to put your head right up to his head Mm. and then just bat his eyes and he tries to bite your nose. That's a (laughs) hug for him. So bite your nose is kind of like a kiss. Yeah. And and that's how he shows affection. And if there's something on TV that he doesn't want, he'll lay on, like while he's laying on the floor, he'll look at the TV and then look at you and, basically say with his eyes well mom it's not going to change itself Mm -hmm. so he knows he knows how to let you know what he wants yeah yeah and i'm sure with with all this journey comes a lot of extra medical equipment um how have you normalized all of all of those things within your family Um, because you like you you can't you you have two other kids and you're trying to you need to give them all the love and support that they need but there's different requirements um, how do you how do you normalize all that? We have never hit it. We okay. said that this is part of their life. This too. is his story. This is part of him, and they are a part of him. Yeah. So why hide it? And in some aspects, I think we've normalized it a little <laughs> bit too much because, like, our oldest Paisley, she asked um, if she used to get fed through her belly, and mm-hmm. if we used to cath her to help her go pee. I said, no, honey, we never had mm-hmm. to do that. So. We might have normalized it a little bit too much, but uh, when he gets a little bit older to the point where like he wouldn't be in diapers, typically we'll take him upstairs and do all of that stuff in private because he deserves his privacy just as much as everyone else. But right Right. now he's still at that age where I would be changing their diapers in front of everybody. So never hit it from them. And it's been amazing because there's been – some people who have had some comments and more people than I can count that give you looks when we're out, but we don't stop living our life. We, Mm. wherever we go. And again, this is pre COVID, um, wherever we go, he goes. Right. I don't want him to think that because he has a diagnosis that that means his life has to have limits. That's not how it is. Right. How long did it take you or did it take you time to, adjust to those looks and be okay with them. Not in the sense of okay, that it's okay that that's how people behave or act, but, um, to the point where you didn't, it didn't impact you negatively. So it took a while, but yeah. Um, last year we went to universal and Disney and it was our first vacation as a family and before he was in an infant carrier where which just went right into a typical stroller so they could kind of see his tubes when he was in that but not completely so we didn't get as many looks this was our first outing in his kid cart which is his wheelchair mm. and you can see everything you can tell that it is not an actual stroller but it's also not a traditional wheelchair it we push him in it and everything and I actually had a little bit of a breakdown. We were at Universal because people were breaking their necks to turn around and look at him and stare at him. Mm. And our Paisley, it broke my heart, um, but also 
made me so happy to have the innocence of kids because she said, Mommy, there sure are a lot of people looking at Maddox's stroller. She's so sweet mm. that she didn't know that they were looking at him mm. and not his chair. Mm-hmm. But she is amazing, <clears throat> right? She was at dance class and one of the girls came up and said that he looked crazy and weird and without hesitation, she jumped in and she said, well, no, this is how he breathes. This is his oxygen. This is his shunt. It goes into his belly. That helps him. And then she said, and this is how he eats. And she just jumps in so sweetly and just educates them in the politest way, Hmm. but a point across. And it's amazing. And I'm proud to be raising kids like that. Absolutely. And, um, every, every time that she does that for the rest of her life, she will be making the world, she's helping us move collectively as a society into a more equitable and inclusive space because she's, like you said, she's normalizing these things. Um, what a powerful thing as a, as a sister to be able to do that, not only for Maddox's benefit and your benefit, but for all of our benefit. Um, it- it's amazing because when that happened, like my heart kind of stopped because I, I, I've always said that I welcome questions yep. and I like the curiosity and I love the kids who want to ask questions that I know their parents are thinking, but also I know that she was old enough to know that crazy and weird are not nice words. So I just kind of looked at her mom and her mom was laughing about it. So to me, I said, mm-hmm. okay, hopefully, and then that's when Paisley and mm-hmm. Paisley jumped and I yeah. said, that could, that conveyed my message better than I ever could have. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure that I'm assuming it probably taught the other mother a little bit as well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, before we transition on, I, I'm curious, what, what do you want people to know about Maddox that maybe they wouldn't know if by just looking at him or seeing him in a video? <laughs> That just because he has all these things going on, he has the oxygen and the feeding tube and he's hooked up to the pulse ox and he doesn't talk in the traditional sense doesn't mean that his life is worth less than others. Yep. He's an amazing little boy and he has touched the lives of so many. Mm-hmm. He He's taught me to be a better person and a better mother and he's taught other people in our family to not take life for granted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome um and let's transition to paisley okay. just in just right on cue right paisley yes. yeah. <laughs> um so this is where as i mentioned at the top of our conversation that this is a little bit unique uh in that you your your youngest had a diagnosis while you're still pregnant you got a diagnosis with him and then other things kind of uh added to that story as he's gotten older. Um, and now here we are, Paisley is seven and, um, you have a recent diagnosis and, and an update on her story from just this year. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that one hit us like a Mack truck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We weren't expecting it. Um, she's for months now has been having headaches and we thought maybe it was screen time and then not yet the stress of, everything going on at home, um, not drinking enough water, just different things. We didn't think it was really anything serious. And then it was five days before Maddox's most recent surgery. So this was August 13th of this year. And 
she laid on the couch and she said her head hurt and she said, I feel like I can't walk. And I knew that she could, but my child has never said that before. Mm -hmm. So I knew something was wrong. Andrew had just gone to work and I called him. I said, need to come back. I think she needs to go to the hospital. So he came back, took her to the hospital and originally they said it was just going to be outpatient testing. And I said, Andrew, I said, you need to have them do something. Something is not right. She has never said this before. And she's not one to just say something just yeah. for the fun of it. Especially because she associates everything with what her brother has gone through. So she's not going to say anything that's going to put her in that kind of position. So they started with a brain MRI. And then they saw what they said they thought was a um a vascular anomaly that was normal developmentally and i said i don't know how an anomaly can be normal but i said i'm not a medical professional (laughs) so then they did the ct scan with and without contrast and then they did a spine mri and um an eeg the eeg was thankfully normal and that's when they came back and said that she had an avm which is the arteriovenous malformation um and that she needed to have an angiogram Originally, they scheduled her angiogram for the day of Maddox's surgery, and we said, well, if we absolutely have to, we'll mm. make it work. Just know that that's yeah. torture. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but they said that while her stuff is emergent, it's not emergent enough to where it has to be done on the same day as Maddox's stuff, and Maddox's stuff couldn't get pushed yeah. back because right. it had already gotten pushed back. Yep. So, Luckily, they were able to work with us because the doctor, the surgeon who would handle the AVM for Paisley – is also Maddox's neurosurgeon. So they helped us just kind of work around all this, get rescheduled and just kind of go from there and kind of gave us the best advice for that. Yeah. Yeah. So then she had the angiogram on August 31st and that uh, the neurologist came out and she was a neurologist from Presby, which is a, an adult hospital around us. Um, and said that she did find the AVM in that it's in the basal ganglia region of her brain, which is considered an inoperable area because it's too deep. Um, we were also told that if it ruptures, because these can rupture, it will likely be a stroke or um, worse, worse mm-hmm. which I can't really say because there are little ears, <laughs> <laughs> little ears present. Um so they, she was recommending gamma knife, which is a high dose radiation, and the like the the country's leading doctor in that he actually brought it over to America from was it Sweden? Sweden. What's that? He, yeah. So I, so Sweden. anything we read, he studied. He did his fellowship over in Stockholm, and I guess learned about all this here, and then brought gamma knife over in like the late '80s, and the one in Pittsburgh is the first one in the country, and then it kind of spread from there from mm-hmm. what I'm talking to one of the neurosurgeons at children he said that people will sign up for years ahead on a waiting list just to get a chance to study with him mm-hmm. yes wow and what an avm is i realized i didn't say this this is a tangle of blood vessels yeah. in your brain you can get them anywhere yeah. but it's also something that she was born oh, with yes. that we didn't know it's not something that i believe unless it's a bigger one that is typically caught on ultras like prenatal ultrasound sure. Um, they said there's no rhyme or reason for it. It just is something that happened. So yeah. they wanted to move quickly on it before it had the chance progress. to rupture yeah. or in progress. So September 12th, she had Gamma Knife over at Presby. Again, that's the adult hospital because they don't do it at our children's. 
Um, she was asleep for it, thank goodness, because they have to put this halo, halo. frame where they screw it onto your mm. head. You start out with an MRI, and then you have an angiogram, and then that doctor who was Dr. Lunsford, and then um, a physicist yeah, and a radiologist do their calculations so that they make sure that they're getting the most mm -hmm. precise area of gamma rays. Um, right. We call her Hulk now because she got gamma rays. That they can to not cause damage to area the area around it. Hers yep. is about the size of a blueberry. Mm. Um, that takes up to three years for it to obliterate it, um, but in the meantime, it can still rupture. And because she's prepubescent, it can grow back. Mm. So she'll be followed with this until her mid twenties. Wow. So this is something that she was born with. But yeah. it didn't really, it grew to the point where it developed symptoms, that it grew to the point where it started impacting her and causing her pain. And that's what triggered. Yeah. But before that, it was always there, but it grows over time. Yeah. So it, um, I don't know if it's when you're pregnant with them that it's just so small that they can't see it or what. But um, on this ABM group that I joined, no one really knew about it until it either A, ruptured or it was an incidental finding. Yeah. Thank you for listening, everyone. Remember, this is just part one of two episodes with Andrew and Sam, so please keep a lookout for part two. I hope you consider that good news because obviously this story is not over and you will want to hear how it continues. We are very grateful to Andrew and Sam for opening up their story and their family with us. Now, if you are not familiar with Go Shout Love, essentially we do amazing things for amazing families with kids on rare medical journeys. And each month we shout love for families through the sale of creative apparel inspired by the kiddos. This month's design is Limitless, which is inspired by Maddox and Paisley, a brother and sister duo fighting for their individual medical journeys, but defying limits together. Every item sold in November will help with the expenses related to appointments for Maddox and Paisley, and including helping the family save up for a wheelchair lift for their vehicle. Visit our website, goshout.love, to support Maddox and Paisley now through the purchase of a t-shirt, sweater, hoodie, tumbler, or other items. And as I mentioned earlier, as you're rating and reviewing this podcast, please leave a comment of encouragement, um, either for the featured family or for somebody else in the Go Shout Love community. I think I can speak on behalf of everybody a part of the Go Shout Love team when I say we really do appreciate this entire group, this entire community, and everybody that surrounds these families that we feature. Keep doing what you're doing. If it's a subscription, if it's a one-time purchase, if it's listening to this podcast, if it's sharing this podcast, whatever you're doing, please keep it up as we continue to go shout love. Thank you.